beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we may celebrate Pentecost, remembering the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Christ's church. We are truly blessed to be living in the last days. For the Holy Spirit has been granted to us to live in our hearts. He makes us share in Christ and in all his benefits. He works a living faith in us. He leads and directs us in our lives with God. He comforts and encourages us in the struggles that we face in our lives. The Holy Spirit is busy transforming our lives, turning us from our sins so that more and more we may image Christ in our lives. He has promised to remain with us forever, to preserve us until the return of Christ our Savior. And so we're blessed to see how rich we are, having received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is difficult for us to fully understand the riches of living in the last days, in the time after the Spirit was poured out on Christ's church. We do not know what it's like to live without the abiding presence of the Spirit of God. In the Old Covenant, the Spirit equipped various people for specific roles, like those who served as prophets or priests or kings. Yet at that time, the Spirit did not dwell personally in the hearts of God's people as he does today. So the outpouring of the Spirit is one of the high points in the history of salvation. The Spirit's coming changed everything. And through the Spirit's powerful working that the disciples were changed from fearful followers of a dead Messiah to bold witnesses of their Lord Jesus Christ's resurrection. It's the Spirit's work that caused the dramatic conversion of thousands of people from all over the world on the day of Pentecost. It's through the Spirit's work that the gospel has gone out to the ends of the earth that so many people have come to faith in Christ. It's through the Spirit's work that our lives are being transformed, that more and more we turn from our sins and live faithful and fruitful lives before God. And yet, beloved, the Holy Spirit does not bring people to faith and transform their lives on his own. Acts 2 makes it clear that the outpouring of the Spirit itself did not bring anyone to salvation. When the Spirit was poured out, the people were confused and they asked, what does this mean? It's only when Peter stands up and preaches his Pentecost sermon that many are saved. As part of that sermon, Peter referred to Joel's prophecy. It helped the people to understand what was happening. It played a central role in the conversion of many on that first day of Pentecost. This passage of Scripture has also been recorded for our benefit. And so in our sermon this morning, we're going to take a closer look at why Peter quotes from Joel's prophecy I preach to you the word of God under the following theme. 
Joel's prophecy about the great and terrible day of the Lord finds its fulfillment at Pentecost. Peter quotes Joel's prophecy to explain the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and to earnestly call God's people to repentance and faith in Christ. The word Pentecost originates from a Greek term meaning 50 days. 50 days after the Passover feast, the Jews would celebrate the Feast of Weeks, also called Pentecost. It was a harvest festival at which God's people would present the first fruits of the wheat harvest. Acts 2 verse 5 tells us about the large crowds of devout Jews from all over the world that gathered in Jerusalem. Many of the Jews still lived in dispersion. But according to God's command, they came together to celebrate God's goodness in this harvest festival. It was on this occasion that Christ poured out the Holy Spirit on his church. Ten days earlier, before he went up into heaven, Christ told his disciples, Behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in this city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When Christ went up into heaven, his followers went to Jerusalem to, outwait, to await the outpouring of the Spirit. And ten days later, Christ fulfilled his promise. He sent his Spirit upon all his followers who were gathered together in one place. The result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is that all Christ's followers began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It led to great confusion among the large crowds gathered together in Jerusalem. They could not understand how it was possible for these uneducated Galileans to speak of the wonderful works of God in many different languages. A division takes place among the crowd. Some are amazed. They ask, what could this mean? While others mocked and said, Jesus' followers were drunk. Yet among this whole group of devout Jews who heard the disciples speak, no one really understood what was happening. And so Peter explains to them what had happened. He dismisses the idea that Jesus' followers were drunk by pointing out it was only nine in the morning. He explains the outpouring of the Holy Spirit by quoting our text from the prophecy of Joel. To understand Joel's prophecy, it's helpful to put it into its context. Joel's prophecy is actually pretty short. It consists of only three chapters, but they're very powerful. Joel 1 describes the coming of an army of locusts. Joel gives a vivid description of how massive swarms of locusts, a type of grasshopper, marched through the land. As they swarmed, they ate everything in their path, leaving behind devastation. Everything green in the land was eaten. Israel's crops and vines and fig trees were stripped bare. So why did the Lord allow this? Because of, his because of his people's rebellion against him. Joel 1 ends with an urgent call to repentance. In Joel 2, the prophet speaks of the coming day of the Lord. Just as locusts had swarmed through the land, 
Joel warns of how God would send foreign armies marching through the land, sparing no one. Joel gives a picture of God's severe judgment that would come upon his people if they did not repent. And once again, there's a cry from the Lord to his covenant people to repent of their sinful ways. The Lord says, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts, not just your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Joel holds out the hope that if God's people repent, the Lord would turn away from the wrath he had declared on them. Then Joel goes on to speak of how the Lord would be jealous of his land and show pity on his people. He would once again provide them with grain and wine and oil to satisfy their needs. He would banish their enemies from their land. He would dwell among them and cause his people to rejoice. And it's in this context that Joel prophesies about the outpouring of the Spirit on all flesh. The result would be that male and female, old and young, would all prophesy. It's important to note that Joel prophesies about something that will happen in the last days. By quoting from the prophet Joel, Peter indicates that God's people have now entered the last days. He makes it clear that a transition has taken place from Old Testament times to New Testament times. Please remember, beloved, that Pentecost happened 10 days after Jesus went up into heaven. Christ's earthly ministry was complete. Through his suffering and death, Christ had paid the price necessary to save us from our sins. His resurrection symbolized his victory over sin and death. His ascension to the right hand of God showed forth his power and authority over all creatures. The main difference between the former times and the last days is that before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit did not dwell personally in the hearts of all God's people. This is clear from the situation that arose in the camp of the Israelites on the way to the land of Canaan. Numbers 11 describes how two men prophesied through the power of the Spirit. Joshua, concerned about Moses' position among the people, asked Moses to forbid them from prophesying further. Moses answered, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his Spirit on them. So we see that Moses longed for the time when the Spirit of God would be poured out on each of God's people individually. The fact that the Spirit did not personally dwell in the hearts of God's covenant people is also confirmed by what the Lord Jesus said in John 7. He said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. John tells us in verse 39 that by this Jesus meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. 
When Jeremiah prophesied about the last days, he spoke about the new covenant God would establish with his people. The Lord declared, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Jeremiah makes it clear how in the last days we will know God more intimately and more personally. It's only possible because Christ came revealing the Father to us and because he poured out the Spirit on us so we could truly know God. The clearest example of the difference the Holy Spirit makes is seen in the lives of Jesus' own disciples. Despite Jesus plainly telling them about his death and resurrection, they didn't get it. It was not until the Spirit was given to them that Jesus opened their eyes and that they understood the Scriptures. And so we see, beloved, how blessed we are to live in the last days. We know God as our Father in Christ. We benefit from Jesus' redeeming work through the, whole, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We need to understand that when Joel speaks of the Spirit being poured forth on all flesh, he does not mean every individual person in this world. The Spirit was poured out on Christ's church. He came to dwell in the hearts of all God's people, male and female, old and young, slave and free. Not just on the leaders, not just on the men, not just on the Jews. That's why we speak about the outpouring of the Spirit. He came to dwell in the hearts of all God's children, no matter their race, their gender, their age, or their social standing. What's particularly noteworthy is the fact that the Spirit was poured out on believers from nations all over the earth. Before Pentecost, the focus is on God's love and faithfulness to his people Israel. Yet with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this has changed. God had promised blessings not just on Abraham and his descendants. He promised that through Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Pentecost ushers in a new age. In the last days in which we live, the Lord no longer discriminates between peoples and nations and languages. He will gather to himself believers from all over the earth. As Joel prophesied, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Finally, in our text, we need to understand what Joel means by prophesying. We often understand prophesying to be the foretelling of the future. At times in the Bible, prophecy included this aspect. Yet simply put, a prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of the Lord. 
prophecy does not need to include new revelation. At times, prophecy is no more than telling the wondrous deeds of the Lord. When Joel spoke about the Spirit coming on all kinds of people and then prophesying, the focus on individual believers being equipped to know Christ and to confess him before others. The 120 upon whom the Spirit came served as eye and ear witnesses of the mighty works of Christ. They shared the gospel of how Christ came to die for our sins, of how he was raised so we can share in the new life he brings. The Jews who were present in Jerusalem on that first day when the Spirit was poured out knew something very special was happening. They heard the followers of Jesus speaking to them about the wonderful works that God had accomplished in Christ. What astounded them was that the was the signs that came with the outpouring of the Spirit. They were amazed. Jesus' followers spoke to them in their own native languages. But they didn't understand what was happening until Peter quoted Joel's prophecy to them. Joel's prophecy helped them to realize God was fulfilling his promise to send his Spirit upon them. Joel's prophecy validates what happened on the day of Pentecost. It was through the quotation of this prophecy and the application of it to their present circumstances that many of the Jews repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We deal with this further in our second point. Peter quotes Joel's prophecy to earnestly call God's people to repentance and faith in Christ. What is remarkable about Peter's quotation from Joel is that Peter does not stop quoting him in verse 18 of our text. He also quotes Joel in verses 19 to 21 of our text. There he speaks about the wonders that will be seen in the heavens above and the signs on the earth beneath, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. He says the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Why does Peter quote these words on the day of Pentecost? What have they got to do with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? In Joel's day, many of God's people had rebelled against him. They did not trust in the Lord or serve him. They had turned away to serve other gods. Instead of living their lives in accordance with God's commands... They adopted the sinful practices of the surrounding nations. That's why God sent swarming locusts against them, devastating their crops. That's why Joel prophesied about foreign armies coming to inflict God's wrath on his people. The goal of Joel's prophecy was to call people to repentance and life. As part of Joel's prophecy, he also speaks about the last days. The last days refers to that time from Christ's first coming to his return. The last days were ushered in by the outpouring of the Spirit. Yet they will continue until the final day, when Christ comes back to judge the living and the dead. Peter makes specific reference to the great and terrible day of the Lord to the final day of judgment. 
that day will be ushered in with wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Joel prophesied about blood and fire and vaporous smoke, about the sun being turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Why does Peter quote Joel's words about the final day of judgment? It's because also in his day, Peter needed to call God's people to repentance and life. Jesus had conducted his earthly ministry among them. For three years, he preached in their synagogues, and he taught wherever the crowds gathered. Jesus opened the eyes of the blind. He made the lame walk. He healed the sick. He cast out evil spirits from people. In word indeed, Jesus showed them that the kingdom of God had come. And yet, God's people rejected Jesus. Despite his authoritative words and the wondrous signs he did, they did not believe in him as their Messiah. Just prior to Pentecost, no, just prior to the Passover feast, some 50 days earlier, People had cried out for Pilate to crucify Jesus. Peter confronts the crowds with what they had done. He said that they had crucified and killed Jesus by the hands of lawless men. Yet Peter points out how God had raised Jesus from the dead. How he was now exalted as Lord and Christ. The crowds responded to this. They were cut to the heart. They were deeply grieved by their sin. They said, brothers, what shall we do? Peter responded, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Many did repent, and by their faith in Jesus Christ, that day, there were added to the church some 3,000 souls. So what do we learn from our text? The last words that Peter quotes from Joel's prophecy summarize the message well. Peter said, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In these words, there's a call for each one of us to repent and believe, to turn to the Lord and to call on him in true faith. You see, beloved, on the day of Pentecost, the full message of salvation was first proclaimed. The apostles made clear that forgiveness of sins and everlasting life come to us through the saving work of Jesus Christ. Yet to partake in these blessings, we need to believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that he rose from the dead to grant me new life in him. Peter's quotation of Joel's prophecy makes it clear the gospel cuts two ways, to salvation and to judgment. That was Christ's intention in coming into this world. In Luke 12, 51, Jesus said, Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. 
When some hear the gospel, they respond by repenting of their sins and believing in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And they're allowed to share in all Christ's blessings. Yet many reject Jesus. They continue to live life their own way in rebellion against him. On the final day, they will come under God's severe wrath. And how about us, beloved? This morning, we'll witness the baptism of Jack Lewis Dixon. We'll hear the rich promises God makes to him. And we'll be reminded of how these promises were made to each one of us. At our baptism, each one of us has received the promise. The Holy Spirit will dwell in us. God promises that the Spirit will cleanse us from our sins, that he will renew our lives. Thus, he will make us share in Christ and in all his benefits. And how does the Spirit do his transforming work in our lives? He works a living faith in us through the gospel. He uses the word of Christ to transform our hearts and lives. That's why parents are, instruct, are called to instruct their children in the good news of salvation, to teach them to know the Lord and his gracious work. That's why as children grow up, they're called to respond to the promises made at their baptism by committing their hearts and their lives to the Lord. The Spirit's work in us is a lifelong process. He not only brings us to faith, he also helps us to grow and mature so we can live as faithful and fruitful children of God. But for that to happen, the Spirit needs opportunity to work. Beloved, do you give opportunity for the gospel to speak to your hearts? Are you faithfully tuning in to the preaching? Do you read and meditate on God's word? Do you take it to heart? Are you praying for the Spirit to use it to affect repentance and renewal in your heart and your life? Pentecost is a joyous celebration. What a blessing it is that the Spirit of God was poured out on the church. How rich we are that the Spirit has come to make his home in us. It's the Spirit who works new life in us. He causes us to believe in the gospel. He works the word of God in our hearts so our lives are transformed. So that out of thankfulness for Christ's redeeming work, we turn from our sins to the living God. So that more and more we may image Christ in what we say and do. The joy of living in the last days is that the Spirit is being poured out on the church and in each of our lives personally. We may truly know God. We may live in intimate communion with him. Christ is gathering together a people for himself from all tribes and nations and languages 
He's gathering the harvest in. So on the final day, we may be united together with God and all his people, living together on new heavens and a new earth. All those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved and will live with God eternally. And so, beloved, the call goes out to you. Repent of your sins. Believe in the gospel. And you too will share the blessings of Christ forevermore. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing from hymn 48, stanzas 1 and 2.